Well, at this time, the kids can be... And um, as we uh, kids go to children's church, the rest of us will open our Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter... I'm sorry, that's where I am. We're going to look at the book of Mark chapter 3. And just for full disclosure this morning, um, I've been outside a lot the last few days, and the leaves and all that, and I've got a tickle throat, so I am chum while I'm public speaking, and that's something you're not supposed to. I don't have a piece of gum or something. That's, I'm just going to get by throats because tickle's going to create a big problem, and so I'm trying to head it off. So um, just a heads up why I'm chewing gum while trying to talk this morning. As we open our Bibles to Psalm, um, to the book of Mark, if you do not have a Bible this morning, I would invite you to use one of our pew Bibles. Uh, that should be in a pew close to you. Uh, this passage this morning, Mark chapter 4, is on page 839 in your pew Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, if you use one of those, 839 should be the page that this is on. This morning, the passage we're going to see is that Jesus, in this book of Mark, is going to begin to teach in a new way. He's going to begin to teach in parables. And as he unfolds this, one of the things we're going to be confronted with this morning that we often see is that there are things in theology, things in the Word of God, that don't fit well together in our brains. That there are truths that God's Word teaches, but they teach them and there's a tension. There's a tension in these truths. And instead of them like coming together like this and we hold them together like this, it's as though they like... They're like this. They don't fit together in our minds. And we're going to spend some time talking about those this morning and how these truths of tension should not be things that frustrate us, but indeed should remind us that we're trying to understand the mind of of our God, of our Creator, whose thoughts and whose ways are higher than ours. And so we're going to see in this morning, as we're going to look at this passage, in the middle of this passage, we're going to see how what he's teaching in the first part, what he's teaching in the last part, and the emphasis, we're like, I'm not sure how all that fits together. And you're going to sense a tension, and that's a good tension. And we'll explain a little bit as we go on. But I want to just prepare you this morning that that we're going to seek to stretch your understanding, and stretch your understanding through a very familiar passage. Well... In Mark chapter 4, verse 1, begins by saying this. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat on it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And And he was teaching them in many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, And as he sowed, some seed fell along a path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into the good soil. And it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The passage goes on in verse 10 and says, And when he was alone with those around him with the twelve, they asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that... They may indeed see, but not proceed, perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and they hear it. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And then they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others... Are the, are the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So in these verses... We see Jesus telling this parable. Tell the parable of the sower. And verse 1 begins that he is by the sea. He's teaching again as Jesus continually taught and taught and taught. That's his primary mission as he is teaching crowd, all crowds all over the place. In last week or a couple of weeks ago in chapter 3, we saw the crowd got so big, they were concerned that the crowd was going to crush Jesus. And so here we see instead of allowing that to happen, Jesus gets in a boat and pushes off a little ways. He pushes off a little ways and he sits down to teach. And so his voice is traveling over the water. People are gathered there, this great setting for people to learn and to hear the word of God. And as Jesus is teaching, we're introduced to one of his teaching methods. In verse 2 it says, And when he was teaching them, he was teaching them many things in parables. He was teaching them in parables. As we seek to understand this idea of parables, parables are short little narratives like a short little story, a short narrative that explains spiritual truth. Okay, so it's a little story that's to, to speech, teach spiritual truth through everyday circumstances, everyday situations. And so the everyday situation he talks to about in verse 3 says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Okay, now, if you look at the spelling of the word sow, this is not somebody like, doing, uh, like putting fabric together and making clothes out of it. This is a sower as a farmer. And he's got his bag of seed, and the farmer, he goes out, and he goes out to sow. And he's not using a John Deere tractor and a precision planter, GPS, making sure all the seed goes in all just the right places. He is scattering seed. And he takes the seed, and he is just scattering it. And as he scatters the seed, he's scattering it everywhere that it goes. There doesn't seem to be any concern about how much seed he has, about running out or how much it costs. He has seed, and he wants it to get everywhere. And so he's taking it and he's casting it. And it talks about these four different places where the soil lands. And he talks about this soil. And the first one, it begins, it tells us that the first place he cast it, the first place he cast it is on this hard ground that gets eaten by the birds. So he's out casting seed everywhere. Some of the, some of the seed lands along the path. And the path where people have walked, it's hard. There's no good seed-to-soil contact. It's just sitting on top of the ground. Birds flying over, see that seed. They scoop down, they eat it, and it's gone. That's the first seed. So the sower casts seed that gets eaten by birds. The sower also casts seed. He casts seed into the rocky ground. And he's casting seed. Some of it lands on the path. Some of it over here where, um, where the ground is a little rocky. 
and, and in, in that rocky ground that it, it grows up really quickly. But because there's no root, when it gets sun comes up, there's no, no water down here, the plant dries up, withers, and it's gone. As he continues to scatter seeds, some on the hard ground, some on the rocky ground, some also falls on the thorny ground. In this soil, he's casting seed in this, in this thorny ground, and it falls amidst it. And in the middle of it, it grows up, and it looks good, but it produces no fruit. It's worthless. The seed doesn't do any good. In these first three places, he's scattering seed. It doesn't do any good. But he continues to scatter, and some of the seed falls on good ground. And the seed that falls on the good ground produces an abundant harvest. And what we see in this context is this work of the sower. And what is the sower doing? Casting seed, casting seed, casting seed, casting seed. That is his work. That is all that he is doing. And Jesus is now teaching them in a parable. And they're thinking, what does this have to do with what he's already been talking about? Okay, what does this have to do with where we've already been? Well, let's back up a little bit. Turn with me to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, After John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and verse 14 says he's proclaiming the gospel of God. What's he doing? What we're going to see in the second part of this parable is that Jesus is casting seed. He shows up and he's spreading his word. Where does he spread his word? As he begins through here, he's around Galilee, around Capernaum, around northern Israel, and the message is spreading, and he's teaching all through there. And as we look down in chapter 1, look in verse verse 35. In this section, we see as Jesus is spreading the word, what happens? And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now the reason they're looking for him is because Jesus has been doing all kinds of miracles. And everybody wants Jesus to do more miracles. But look what he says. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. As we begin to see what is going on in this passage, we hear that the sower in chapter 4 is Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He is preaching his word. He is scattering his word. And he's scattering it where? He is scattering it everywhere. He is scattering his seed, and so he's in Capernaum. He goes from town to town, village to village, and people are hearing his word. Well, how are they responding? Well, let's look. In in chapter 1, we see the people some of the people not hearing Jesus' word. Um, That in chapter 1, verse 40, we see a leper comes, and Jesus comes, and he um, heals this man of leprosy. And so some people are beginning to see this. Jesus calls disciples to himself, and he calls them, and they hear him, and they follow him. But not everybody who hears Jesus is following him. Because as we continue in chapter 3, we begin, actually in chapter 2, we hear Jesus say to a man, your sins are forgiven. The man's blown away by that. His friends are as well. They certainly weren't expecting that. Jesus then heals the man, and there are people then who believe. But there are also people who see and hear the very same things, 
And, and they, they, they are looking to see how they can destroy Jesus. We see that over in chapter 3. Um, in chapter 3, as Jesus continues to spread his word, as he spreads his word, as he teaches, cast seed, cast seed, cast seed. In chapter 3, verse 22, it says these scribes came down from Jerusalem. So, so they're hearing about what Jesus is teaching. And what happens? They hear him saying, he, they say, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demon, he cast out demons. What are they saying? Jesus is demon-possessed. He's of the devil. So what kind of soil is that coming on? Okay, the seed is going. They're hearing what Jesus is doing. They're seeing what Jesus is doing, but they're denying it. The seed is getting taken away. It's not producing any fruit. And so Jesus is laying out this parable. And as he begins to lay out this parable, in verse 9, he says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Chapter 4, verse 9. That's going to be a key to our understanding of this whole passage. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, as he's looking at the crowd, how many people have physical ears? Probably all of them, right? Probably all of them. Well, and so it's a lovely saying, this makes no sense. He who has ears, let him hear. But we understand that Jesus means more just when you have ears. Just because your kids are sitting in the other room and you say to them, hey, I need you to pick up the toys in there. And you walk in the room a little bit later and no toys have been picked up. And you're like, huh, that's weird. Did they not hear? And, and then the next day goes on and you're in the front room and you say to the kids, hey, pick up the toys in there. And, and you see their heads kind of look and then turn back to the screen. And then you look, well, no toys are getting picked up. So here's the question. Do they have ears? Yeah. Um, those who have ears, are they hearing you, though? No. Because how do we know they're not hearing you? They're not doing anything with what they're hearing. Okay, so when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So if you really have ears to hear, the evidence that you have ears to hear is that you are going to do something with what's being said. Okay, so how does that play out? Well, as we look then in our parable, verse 10. And when he is alone, those around him with the twelve ask him about the parables. They're like, what, what's this about? Why are you teaching him parables? In verse 11, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. So they have eyes, but they can't see. And they may indeed hear but don't understand. So they have ears, but they're not hearing. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Well, as we read this, what's going on? Why is it that Jesus is teaching in parables? Well, in our text, in your outline is this, that we recognize Jesus is revealing a secret. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And this secret is ultimately Jesus himself. To you has been given the ability to understand who Jesus is. To you has been given the ability to understand that, that Jesus is indeed this guy who lives in Nazareth, but that, that he was born of a virgin, that he is fully God, he's forgiving sins, he's healing people, doing all these miracles, and that he calls people to repent, to turn from their sins. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand, because Jesus is the king. 
And so what he's telling them is that, that you guys get it. You guys are insiders. But he says then, but for those who are outside, everything is in parables. So he's making a distinction between insiders and outsiders. Those who hear and those who don't hear. Another way we see this insider, outsider, those who hear and don't hear, look back in chapter 3 at the end of the chapter. And, and context is a significant tool to help us understand the scripture. What's happening here in verse 31, chapter 3. And his mother and his brothers, this is Jesus' mother and his brothers, uh, they're standing outside and they sent and they called to him. So, hey, tell Jesus that his family's out here. And the crowd sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are, where? Outside, seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Which of you are thinking, Well, that's um, those people that are out there. Those are your mother and brothers. But listen to what Jesus says. And looking around at those who sat around him, those who are inside, those who have been listening to him, those who are getting it, and looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my, my brother, my sister, and my mother. And so this distinction between outsiders and insiders, the outsiders are those who are hearing but rejecting Jesus. Insiders are those who are hearing and, it says, are doing the will of God. Those are the insiders. Those who are the ones who become a part of his family. They hear it and they do it. And, and as we recognize this, what we begin to see is that what Jesus is doing in teaching parables, that Jesus reveals his truth in parables to those who will hear. So those who will hear, they hear a parable and they learn truth. They hear about the sower, and they're learning truth. They're getting it. But our verse says in, chat, in verse 12, so that they may indeed, those who are on the outside, see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And we read that, and we're like, that's hard teaching. Because that sounds like that there are those who hear that Jesus is revealing truth through parables, but it also sounds like, and it's accurate, that Jesus is concealing truth from those who refuse to hear. And so he teaches this parable, and some get it, and some don't. Who are the ones that get it? Those with ears to hear. Those who are willing to do the will of God, they hear it, they apply it, they get it. Those who are unwilling because of the condition of their soil, the condition of their heart, the condition of their lives, they don't hear it. They don't hear it, they don't understand it, and because they're unwilling to hear it, God conceals the truth from them. And you're thinking, that doesn't sound quite like, that doesn't sound like, um, something that's all right. Something not seems quite right with that. Well, what's going on here in verse 12? And in your Bibles, in many of your Bibles, verse 12 may be indented or the um, formatting looks a little different. Okay? That's because it's referring us to an Old Testament passage. Okay? It's an Old Testament passage in the book of Isaiah. And I want to ask you to turn there with me. 
in the book of Isaiah. This was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah chapter 6, and if you're using a pew Bible, this is on page 571. The nation of Israel at the time have been rebelling against God. God has sent them prophets to teach them the word, but they've hardened their hearts. They're not listening to the word of God. They're continuing in rebellion from the king on down. The nation's a mess. And so God's raising up prophets to tell the truth. Well, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, we're in the throne room of God. Isaiah sees God lifted up high and exalted. The throne of his, uh, of his uh, robe is filling the temple, showing that he is a majestic God. And it says the angels are in there saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Overwhelming sense of wonder. And Isaiah sees this and he's, he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and, and then in verse 8 it says this, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, and Isaiah, I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah's here. God's going to send Isaiah to do what? And he says, go and say to this people. Okay, let's pause here. Go and say to this people. What's he want Isaiah to do? Isaiah, cast seed. Cast my word. I want you, Isaiah, to go and to be casting seed. And he says this. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's what's quoted in Mark. And then he says in verse 11, How long, O Lord? How long do I need to keep sowing? And he says, until cities lie in waste without inhabitants and the house of pe- without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes the people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. What we see in this is this message that Isaiah is going to go preach is a message that the people need to hear, but they're going to refuse to hear it. Their hearts are already here, they're hard, and as they hear this message and hear this message and hear this message, the very message that can give them life is going to condemn them. In our day, it would be the message of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way their sins can be forgiven and we can be made new. He's the only way. And there are people who hear it and hear it and hear it and reject it and reject it and reject it. And one day they're going to stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ and they're going to be condemned by the very words they heard but refused to do anything about As we understand that, this message of hope becomes a message of condemnation because of the condition of their hearts. Because they will not hear. So, back to the book of Mark. Why is Jesus teaching in parables? To reveal truth to those who will hear? To conceal truth from those who refuse to hear? Now, as we, these are two truths, and if you're thinking hard right now, your brain's kind of starting to smoke a little bit, and the gears are kind of winding because you're like, wait, this, this, I don't understand how this works. Because on the one side, he says, 
To you has been given. To you has been given. What's that mean? That in the Greek, that is a perfect passive tense verb. What it means to you has been given. That means I've received something from somebody else and it has ongoing effects. Okay, let's, so let's suppose one of my kids said, Dad, can I have some money? And then I give them some money. How have they received that money? What did they do for it? Nothing, right? But I freely gave it to them. Now they have that money. It has ongoing effects so they can spend it, right? So how do they get it? It was given to them. Look what this verse says. To you, you disciples, you who are insiders, have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So those of us who are on the inside, those of us who have heard, why have we heard? Why have, our, why have we responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because he has worked in our hearts. He has opened our hearts. He's opened our minds to believe this gospel. And we rejoice in that because we know that otherwise we never would have heard. We never would have, we, we never would have believed. Or the other side of it is if it wasn't God working, I'd be really proud of the fact that I figured this out. Look how smart I am. But it's been given ears. But there are those on the outside that they're hearing all this, but they, can't, they, don't, they don't get it. So here, what we have here are two theological truths that are running parallel. One is God's sovereign work in opening ears, unplugging ears, and bringing life to ears where they, people can't hear. And over here we have the responsibility of man, that I am fully responsible to respond to God. And those, they're like two railroad tracks, and they hit the ceiling. And as I'm trying to understand it, as I, they, these railroad tracks, I follow the railroad tracks all the way up, and bang, I hit my head on the ceiling. I'm like, I don't get this. I don't know how this fits together, how God can be completely sovereign in control of all things, but I still have real responsibility and make real choices. I don't understand how those fit together because there are those railroad tracks and my head's hitting the ceiling. And the response to, my response to you would be, welcome to the club because I'm not going to be able to put that together for you. Because here's why. Those railroad tracks run to the ceiling, our heads hit the ceiling, and we can't get above the ceiling because above the ceiling is the mind of God. And we can only understand what he has told us. And what he has told us in the scriptures is he's completely sovereign and we are fully responsible. And we have to hold both of those together. Now, here's why I say this. Because if we don't understand this correctly, we're going to distort the word of God. And I don't want you to distort the word of God. We'll distort it in one of two ways. First is this, that we must not distort God's word and conclude, well, God must not want people to hear. Right? Because say, well, if God opens your ears, it must be people God doesn't want to hear. And we know that's wrong because where has the, seed, where has the sower been scattering seed? Everywhere. I want this word everywhere. I want it in every ear. We have a good, good God who wants to get his message into our ears. And so we cannot deny that God wants people to hear because he does. God loves the world. But we also must not distort God's word and conclude that we can hear without him opening our ears. In our own spiritual state, what does sin do to us? Sin makes us deaf, sin makes us blind, and sin kills us. We're deaf, we are dead, and we are blind. 
That is an absolutely helpless state. And so what must happen? God has to work. Which, by the way, is how you pray when you want somebody to get saved, isn't it? When you want someone to get saved, you pray what? God, open their ears. God, open their eyes to see this. God, soften their hearts so that they will believe. That's how we pray. And so we need to hold all of this together and, and because the Scripture teaches it and realize if I'm an insider, God gets all the credit. If I'm an outsider, all the responsibility is on me to believe. And for those inside, we say, praise the Lord. And those on the outside, the question is, what are you going to do with this truth? That you're a sinner, God sent a Savior, and that Savior will save you, cleanse you from your sin, and forgive you if you will repent and believe this gospel. Will you believe it? Do you have ears to hear? Well, Jesus continues in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand the parables, all the parables? So Jesus now is going to explain it. Okay, so the first part of the message was the work of the sower. And what was the work of the sower? I did this intentionally. All your outline points were the same, right? Cast seed, cast seed, cast seed, cast seed. What's the work of the sower? To cast seed. Now what we're going to look at is the responsibility of the soil responsibility of soil. The key word that we're going to hear is the word hear. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Every soil type in this, you see it in verse 15, 16, 18, and 20, the word hear. Hear, hear, hear. All these soil types hear the seed. Okay? Every heart hears the word of God. But what happens? Let's look in verse 14. And the sower sows the word. So what's the seed? The word of God. The seed is the word of God. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so in this first situation, what we see is we have this hard soil. This hard soil is unresponsive to the word of God. It's like they've got armor on that they hear the word of God just bounces off of them. They're not interested in the things of God. They are, could care less. You talk to them about the things of God, and they want to change the topic. They want to talk about anything else but this. The seed comes, and it goes away. Satan takes it away. What's the next one, then? It goes on in verse uh, 16. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. These are the ones who, when they hear the word, there it is again, they hear it, immediately they receive it with joy. And so this person hears the gospel and they're like, that's fantastic. This is good stuff. And so immediately they receive it, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word and immediately fall away. So it's like the seed that falls in the rocky ground, no soil. It grows real quickly. Sun comes out, it dies. This is a person enthusiastically, oh, I love this, this is great, Jesus is going to make my life better, I want this, and they're all about Jesus, 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 but then life gets hard. Life gets hard. And, by the way, does life get hard? It does get hard. And what happens when hardships come? It's like the heat gets turned up, and what happens? They wilt away because there's no fruit. And what that demonstrates is that this wasn't really, this, this fruit, this seed, actually didn't perform anything. 
this plant, this soil is worthless. Nothing grows there. Grows and it falls away quickly. And likely, and this sometimes, I think sometimes we consider this. Sometimes people hear this message of the gospel. It's like, come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. Let me tell you, if you've heard that, and if you've come to Jesus on those terms, I want to caution you and lovingly tell you that you've not been told correctly. Following Jesus does not make life easier but it does make life brighter. It helps you see more clearly. It helps you understand life better. It helps you, gives you direction. It gives you purpose. It, all those things, but it doesn't necessarily make it easier. We don't see that throughout the Bible. In the life of the Apostle Paul, he got his head cut off. Jesus ends up crucified. All the disciples, except for John, were killed because of their faith. Following Jesus doesn't make life easier. We need to consider the cost. And this person when they came to christ apparently did not consider the cost and when the cost became too high they're gone the second soil what happens on the third soil it says in verse 18 and others are the ones sown among the thorns so the word of god sows in the midst of a crowded field among the thorns and are those who hear the word okay there's it they hear it hear 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 but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of the riches, the desires of other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, this is each, we see a progression here. One, the seed doesn't do anything. The second one, the seed grows a little bit, and then it dies. This one, the seed grows a little bit and seems to continue to grow. Looks good, looks fine on the outside, but it doesn't produce what? No fruit. And because it produces no fruit, how valuable is it to the farmer? It's of no use. It might as well get plucked up and thrown away. And we recognize that oftentimes the Word of God falls on a heart. And because of the busyness of life and all the distractions, and it's as though the Word of God is like one other thing in my life along with the 50,000 50, other things. And what happens? It doesn't produce any fruit. I go to church bring my Bible, but it doesn't produce any fruit. Why? Because of the deceitfulness of riches. I'm worried about making money. I'm just tied down. Life's just so busy. I can't do anything else. And that goes on. And as a result of that, it's unfruitful. And here's a question. So when harvest comes on the first three soils, there's nothing. There's nothing. These, these first three soils are unproductive, unfruitful. They're to be thrown away. These first three soils, none of them are genuine believers of Jesus. Because there's no fruit. But then we get to this fourth one. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And so this good soil grows and it produces good things. So let's look at the contrast. So the hard soil hears the word but is unresponsive. What happens next? The rocky soil hears the word but falls away because of hardships. The third one is this, that the thorny soil hears the word but. So if you're an outline person following up, all those are the same, right? They hear the word but, hear the word but, hear the word but. Here's the beautiful thing that the good soil hears the word and. I hear the word and what's the result? Fruit is produced. 
God does a work. God produces something in us. That seed produced something. That seed produced something valuable and beautiful and helpful. The seed produced what it was supposed to. And what is the fruit that gets produced? The fruit that gets produced in the heart of a believer would be the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, or you say, I think I'm a believer in Jesus, I think I'm good soil, I would ask the question, what kind of fruit is being born because of your faith? Fruit of the Spirit. Love. Are you growing in love? Are you growing in love for other people? Are you, or are you looking like, man, I'm growing to be a grumpy old person who doesn't like anybody. Growing in love and joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And why are these fruit of the Spirit? Because, listen, joy does not spring up naturally in the midst of hardships and troubles and all that. Joy springs up because the soil is good and the, the seed is good and it's producing it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control as a fruit of the Spirit that as I hear and see temptation, that I'm turning away from and I'm fleeing from immorality, I'm doing that. Why? Because I love God. I'm exercising self-control in a new way. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I believe another fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is a love for other people that gets busy sowing seed. But, I mean, think about that. What does... I'll, I'll use corn because it's, it's next to my house and I love corn. So... You have a corn plant that grows, and all this, and it gets this ear of corn. And how many kernels are on there? There are all kinds of kernels on that. And what is, now, what is the purpose of that? Let's suppose it's seed corn. The purpose is that all of those seeds would go and produce more. That's the goal. Okay, and as we look at that, that we realize that's what God is calling us to do. As Jesus went and sowed the word, we are to do the work of the sower. We are to take the word and to scatter the word, to take it and to scatter it everywhere and, and anywhere. But we also recognize that we are also soil. We're sowers and we're soil. And in the soil, we need to be asking the question, what is the seed doing in my heart? Is it producing fruit? Or have the distractions of the world really is kind of making God's word in me fruitless? Or maybe you're here just because somebody just invited you, they drug you here, and this, everything I'm saying is just bouncing off your eardrums, it's going through, and it's not landing. What kind of soil are you? And the beautiful thing is, in the midst of this, evaluating our, our, our hearts and evaluating our soil, is that as we, as we hear this, that we can always respond. We can always respond. I love the testimony of Jack this morning. Hearing this testimony of, of a man who has talked about that he had gotten far from the Lord. And I would say, what is the evidence that Jack was a genuine believer? That he came back to the Lord. He, he's bear, he desires to bear fruit in his life. That's the evidence in our lives. Is that, and that's not what saves us. The evidence doesn't save us, but the evidence is a result. And so I would ask you this morning, what kind of soil is your heart? A good soil, a place where God's word is taking root, growing deep roots in you, and you love God, and you're growing your love for him, and as a result of your growing love for him, your life is being transformed. 
And then one of those ways of transformation is that you, become, you want others to hear this. And, and I'm, I'm burdened. I'm both sides of this burden me, the soil part and the sower part. The soil, because sometimes it's like, what's going on in hearts? But then the sower part is, how passionate are we about getting God's word into our community? You know, oftentimes we're like, well, they won't hear. Well, they'll get angry at us. You know, they'll, they might get, come to Christ. They're going to fall away. Seen that so many times. I'm not sure why I even bother. And we can say, I, just, I want to buy a John Deere tractor and a planter, and I just want to put soil, seeds where there's good soil. So that's, only, that's what I want to do. I would tell you, I do too. But God doesn't give us John Deere tractors. God gives us a Bible word full of seed. That as we take this word, we can scatter it and scatter it and scatter it. And we look down and as we scatter it and we scatter it and we scatter it, we realize it's still full. I haven't lost anything by spreading all of this. And so if it falls on hard soil, that's great. But you know what? I think, too, listen, I mean, in the agrarian side, all that place, we get the idea, too, is like, we don't know where good soil is. Now, we do in Montgomery County. We look in the northern part of the county. It's big fields, black soil. It's like, that's where the good soil is, right? That's where you plant the seed. When it comes to spiritual, we don't know the hearts of people. We have no idea what kind of soil their heart is. Our responsibility is to get as much seed out there is because the more seed we get out there, the more confident we can become that God will use that word to get into the good soil. He's got the good soil figured out for us. And I want to... Here would be an encouragement. A way for us to easily do this. Um, I've got in my office a big stack of these hundred... Actually, they're like a million dollar bills that we've used in the past, and they have Santa Claus on the front of them. Right, and which guess means they're themed for what? Christmas. You know what next Saturday, next Sunday afternoon is in Crawfordsville? Christmas parade. You know what I would love to do? I would love to take that stack, give them to some of you. Maybe we meet together and say, let's go down and ten minutes before the parade starts, begin at the parade route, get people in different parts of the seat, just go and hand out all those tracks, stand at the end, watch the parade, go home, eat our candy, all that stuff. Sowing seed. I mean, I love that. I mean, and, and if I've got the tracks. You want to come see me? We'll make a plan, and we'll go pass those tracks out, watch the parade, have a good time, and who knows where they go. I'm confident we, when the parade's over, we'll walk back through, and we're going to see some of those laying on the ground. We're going to see some of them laying in the trash can, but we're going to realize not all of them got there. Some of them are going to get home, and they get in the trash can there. Others, we hand up. They're waiting for the parade. They don't have anything else to do, so what do they do? They're going to stand there and read it. I mean, is it, I mean, is it the best ideal way? Of, is that the best way of, seed, of planting? Probably not. But is it a way of planting? Absolutely. So as we think about that, I want to encourage you this morning, we're going to wrap up with this, to be asking yourself, what kind of soil am I and what is the evidence? And then the second question is, what kind of sower am I and what is the evidence? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love for us. Lord, you, have, you are a good, good sower. The word has gone out, and the word has gone out, and it's gone out everywhere. And Lord, we thank you that your word has found good soil in many of our lives. And as a result of that, that fruit is being grown, and that you are doing a work of producing beautiful things. 
and we thank you for that. Good, Lord, I also recognize that there may be different levels. It's, there may be a level of hardness, a level of shallowness, or a level of crowdedness in our lives because of other things and other distractions. God, I pray that you would take and that you would till up the soil of our hearts and make it soft to be able to produce good fruit. And Lord, as we rejoice in the work that you have done in our hearts, that we would have a passion and a love for others that would overflow, that we would take and that we would begin casting seeds, casting seeds everywhere and allowing your truth to penetrate hearts hearts to change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.